You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda, recording from Washington, D.C., and I'm delighted to be joined today by The Diplomats Managing Editor and Resident Central Asian Afghanistan expert, Katie Putz. Katie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ankit. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, as uh, our listeners can probably guess, uh, we are a little bit overdue to revisit uh, Afghanistan. It's been a uh, an interesting year. We've talked about, of course, the Biden administration's decision to um, finally exit the country after more than 20 years of war. Um, but Katie, I was hoping today that we could talk a little bit about the situation on the ground. Obviously, there's a lot of anxiety um, here in Washington and elsewhere, uh, certainly in the region as well about the uh, fate of Afghanistan, so to speak, and the ability of the Taliban to put up a fight that Mm -hmm. uh, can contest the Afghan government's control of uh, not only much of the country's territory, but especially provincial capitals, which are sort of seen as the main uh, threshold to um, the fight for the country's future, so to speak. Uh, And of course, as the U.S. um, withdraws capabilities, um, the Afghan national force, uh, national security forces are, of course, um, under considerable strain. So I figured the best place to kind of begin the conversation today, um, obviously, you know, this week we've seen um, an outbreak of violence uh, in, in places ranging from uh, Herat, uh, Lashkargah has been under particular um, uh, a particular siege uh, with the Taliban having taken several parts of uh, the country around Lashkargah. Some concern about Kandahar as well, although the Afghan security forces seem to be positioned better there. What's your sense of the situation on the ground right now from where you're sitting? Uh, how concerned should we be about, um, you know, potential uh, potential ter- uh, turn in the tide of the battle there? Yeah, so I mean, I think I think it's really important to watch the provincial capitals uh, to date, or as I'm speaking now, um, the, the Taliban has not been able to take any provincial capital. Uh, they've all remained in government hands. Um, as you mentioned, some of them have been under uh, a lot of pressure, particularly this week, uh, Herat, Herat City, the capital of Herat province, and then also Lashkargah, which is the, the center of uh, Helmand province. Those have been under considerable strain, uh, but the it's, you know, over the last couple of months, there has been a very clear push by the Taliban um, into areas that had previously been um, everybody has seen the various coded, color-coded maps, uh, which I, I, they are useful in one sense, but they do just show territory. And a mm-hmm. lot of that territory is rural territory. There's not a lot of people um, in some of those places. Um, and so as the Taliban has taken areas that had previously been considered contested, the number of districts under Taliban control has exploded. Um, you know, of Afghanistan's like 420 something districts, the Taliban, uh, depending on whose map and what time of day you're, you're asking the question, uh, the Taliban control about 200 of them. Um, now, that seems, I think, a lot worse than the situation may actually be, though the situation is bad. Um, and, and I think sort of my, my desire, I would love to see a control map uh, that was done per capita kind yeah. of like they do electoral maps occasionally in the U.S. and they do it per capita because otherwise you see sort of the electoral map and it's all red in the middle and you're like, oh gosh, the entire country is red. When you look at the population, the the picture shifts. And I think that would be a valuable additional asset because it's, you know, some like 10, 12% of the Afghan population lives in Kabul. Another 10% live in Herat. So the, these district centers, well, not the district centers, these provincial centers are really important to that fight. And so with the Taliban push into those areas, there's been a lot of anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. But I but I think that's also um, 
inspired Afghans to kind of push back um, in, in a sense that, you know, they know what's at stake. We don't, nobody needs to tell them what's at stake. And so these places where there's large concentrations of people, there's definitely a lot of, um, the, there's, there's a possibility for some solidarity there that could be politically useful. Um, yeah. So, you know, I want to I want to sort of pick your brain on the on the Central Asia component of this. I mean, especially uh, to the north, where one of the major changes we've seen, uh, you know, just a few years ago, the Afghan government had pretty good control of um, of Badakhshan, the Wakhan corridor, uh, the border with uh, Tajikistan. Um, and events in recent weeks and months have put that into doubt with uh, a lot of fighting in that region. Badakhshan sort of temporarily, I think, falling very much into uh, Taliban mm-hmm. control, the Taliban trying to sort of set up um what you know, many would consider one of the components of sovereignty, which is controlling uh, border exchanges and commerce across that border. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your sense of what's happening at the uh, Tajik-Afghan border right now? Yeah, so the the Tajik-Afghan border is sort of the um, has been in the news lately. Uh, in in July, there had been uh, the Taliban pushed into into these districts in in along the border, um, took a number of them. Uh, according to a, a BBC map that I'm looking at that's dated from July 26th, uh, the Taliban controlled two um, border crossings with Tajikistan. And so that's significant for the sort of central Afghan government because border crossings are also where you draw in uh, import revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if the Taliban is is getting, getting the money, then the Afghan government's not. So that's one issue. It also, you know, is it's both tactically and symbolically uh, a blow to lose things like border crossings. Um, now on the Tajik side, um, there were uh, estimates vary, but around 2000 Afghan security forces and, and uh, various civilians fled across the border when the Taliban was, was pushing through, they were repatriated to Afghanistan um, by the Tajiks who then called up, I think 20,000 reservists to reinforce the border services. Um, This week, uh, the Russians are running uh, military exercises, both in Uzbekistan at the beginning of this week, and then Uzbekistan, Russia, and Tajikistan will be doing exercises near the Afghan border Mm -hmm. um, starting today, actually. And so there's, uh, you know, there's definitely some anxiety on the Tajik side. So Tajikistan the Tajik government never really dealt with the Taliban in the way that the the Uzbek government and the Turkmen government have invited Taliban delegations, has have hosted Taliban delegations in recent recent times. Tajikistan has done none of that, um, and so there's definitely some anxiety um, and in Tajikistan about that. On the other hand, uh, the Taliban has, and we you can take them for their word or not, and you know we can all argue about that. Has said that they're not interested in in invading Tajikistan or really messing with Tajikistan. We have not seen the Taliban cross the border, for example, in any significant fashion. Um, So the Taliban remains focused on gaining control of Afghanistan and doesn't seem to have um, international ambitions. Um, Yeah. So, you know, one of the things on the U.S. side, uh, you know, so yesterday at the um uh, at the Aspen Security Forum, um, Zami Khalilzad, uh, the U.S. Special Representative for Afghanistan under Biden and Trump, um, was talking about you know how the expectation uh, is still that the Taliban would focus somehow on a political settlement. I mean, you know, I can I can guess what your answer is going to be, but I mean, how realistic is any real aspiration for this to de-escalate and and head in the direction of any kind of uh, political settlement at this point? 
I mean, it, it seems highly, it seems highly unlikely. Uh, you cannot really, uh, you just have to look at the facts. The Taliban is busy fighting and they're, they are sending delegations and we can, we can talk about sort of the places the Taliban has visited to talk to people, um, but they haven't spent that much time in Doha talking to the Afghan government. So mm-hmm. that would be kind of the center. Um, one of the things that I wrote this week, cause I was looking at um, sort of this idea that there's a unified international position that, that there's going to be a negotiated solution to the Afghan conflict. The international community is not necessarily united on what that's going to look like. Uh, China and Russia, I think, would accept a different conclusion uh, than the United States and Europe want. And so, uh, yes, everybody says we want a negotiated solution. But, I, you know, Russia's interest in this, for example, is the security of Central Asia. So their negotiated solution might be with the Taliban. Um, And the same thing with China. Um, Now, that looks really poorly on sort of Russia relations with the Afghan government as it is, but it's, it's, you know, I think they're hedging a bit on yeah. this. Um, nobody's, the Taliban is, is busy trying to take uh, provincial capitals. They're not hashing out an agreement with the Afghan government. I mean, I don't even think they have a shared agenda. The last breakthrough for the intra-Afghan talks was in like December, 2020, mm-hmm. uh, when they decided on the rules and regulations or the rules and the procedures for the for the talks, and that was considered a breakthrough, and they were supposed to move on to doing an agenda, and that's just a non-starter because the Afghan government, and the international community, want there to be a ceasefire first. Absolutely, um, the Taliban is, you know, clearly not interested. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you mentioned uh, the thing I wanted to talk about next, which is you know the Taliban's uh, international contacts, uh, you know, China. India, Russia, um, you know, it's it's been interesting to sort of see how every country is really hedging their bets uh, with mm-hmm. the tremendous uncertainty ahead with, um, you know, what might happen in Afghanistan. You sort of do get the feeling that, you know, for many of these countries on Afghanistan's periphery and particularly the major powers, um, it's sort of there's a sense of inevitability. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's more a question of when, not if um, the Afghan government will eventually begin to lose control. Um, so, you know, we can we don't have to go too far into this issue, but I mean, um, you know, what are some of the concerns here? I mean, if you're if you're China, Russia, I mean, you know, you talked about the Russian core interest, which is the security of Central Asia. For China, it seems to be making sure that the Taliban doesn't allow Afghan soil to be used by, um, you know, uh, potential um, extremist groups to carry out sort of uh, terrorist attacks in, in Western China, for mm-hmm. instance. Uh, India has its own sets of concerns relating to uh, regional terrorism and Pakistani influence. Um is this is this you know something that we should expect to kind of stick around in the near term that the Taliban will really become a much more common feature on the on the diplomatic calendar in many of these capitals around the region? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a it's a difficult question to answer because, you know, at what point would we consider the Afghan government that's currently in in control in Kabul as not being in control mm-hmm. when they lose? some of the provincial capitals, none of the provincial capitals, all like at at what point, you know, does the control map have to shrink enough that you then have to kind of consider maybe the Taliban is, is running the country. And I, and I don't, I don't think that point is as close as some other people think that that point is. And we can, we can talk about that or not if we want, but Mm -hmm. I I think from the perspective of regional powers of Russia and China, countries that are a bit closer to Afghanistan, they are trying to make the connections with the Taliban if and when they need them. Um, and, and you know, if the Taliban, you know, it, the various different sort of future scenarios, say there is a negotiated settlement between the Kabul and the Taliban and the Taliban becomes a 
quote unquote normal political party in Afghanistan and participates in the process. I don't think this is the likely future, but just mm-hmm. just for the heck of it, then they would still be something that these external countries have to deal with at some point, you know, in the same yeah. way that international powers maintain political relations with multiple political parties in every country um, and try to be very diplomatic uh, because you never know who's going to be in charge in 10 years. Um, and so I think that's that's part of that hedging. Um, you know, it is it is also possible there. They are trying. Well, it's not possible. It is true. They are trying to nudge them back to talking because that's this quickest solution to everybody um, getting what they want out of this, which is predictable stability. Um, and, and most of these countries also have an economic interest right. uh, that would be better served by stability and peace than it is by war. But yeah, you know. and the Taliban have been, you know, pretty attuned to those economic interests. I mean, they've sort of sent signals to China and India that, you know, as long as those countries don't actively give military support to Kabul, Mm -hmm. uh, they're happy to hold off on attacking, you know, economic projects or investments that are underway in the country. So they're sort of playing the cards that they've been dealt, um, you know, as well as possible to try and deter these countries. But, you know, it's it's hard for me to imagine. I mean, especially, you know, it's it's still kind of fuzzy the kind of contacts the Indians in particular are having with the Taliban at this point. But you know India's interest in Afghanistan, I think the overarching interest is to ensure that um, Afghanistan doesn't turn into a um, you know a return to its status as part of sort of Pakistan's uh, sphere mm-hmm. of influence in the region. What's your sense of you know what the Indians might be uh, thinking longer term here though? I mean, I think they have they have similar interests to the United States in in a way that you know they have economic interests in Afghanistan and then they have sort of a close but distant security interest. They don't want Afghanistan to be a place where people can go train and then fly over or go through Pakistan and attack India. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I think, is part of that, that um, concern. And so, like everybody else who, whether they've designated the Taliban as a terrorist group, which Russia has, the United States never did, or not, they're still trying to talk to them, um, yeah. in, in a sense, because they're whether whether anybody likes it or not, they are part of the political milieu in in Afghanistan, um, and how how that's approached is going to um, may have ramifications for all all of those countries, India included, in the future. Mm-hmm. But it's you know I can't stress enough that it's it, it's impossible to kind of predict where this is going to go, um, and that's you know. It's an unsatisfying piece of analysis, but that's the truth. Is it's it's unclear. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I I think that's right. And you know, I mean, I I certainly hesitate to, uh, you know, pretend to know where Afghanistan is going to be in in a few weeks or months. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I do share that broader sense of pessimism about um, you know, the Afghan government's tall task ahead, let's say, in terms of keeping control of the country. I mean, just because if there is really no momentum towards a political settlement, I mean, really, this then does turn into protracted, prolonged civil war with districts sort of changing hands. You know, you've talked a lot about these maps that we've been seeing. You know, we can expect to see colors kind of change back and forth. Inevitably, you know, provincial uh, provincial capitals coming under siege and and, and so forth. So uh, it's it's really, you know, a terrible fate for Afghanistan after uh, all of these years of conflict and and the U.S. presence in the country. But um, unfortunately, I think this is where we are today. Um, Before we close, Katie, is there anything uh, anything else you want to draw attention to uh, when it comes to Afghanistan status right now? Um, I guess I would just say that um, there was sort of a, 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 I guess, civil society protest this week um, in, a, in a number of Afghan cities in which Afghans went up to the rooftops and shouted Alu Akbar in support of the Afghan security forces. And while that's not, 
you know, anything military. I do think um, we can't lose sight of the fact that there's a lot of Afghans who want a different future. And yeah. so it, it will be interesting to watch if that can motivate the kind of political cohesiveness that is necessary. Uh, the Afghan government has um, always been uh, dis- disunified. Uh, you, you know, it has it has always sort of struggled with unity and corruption and all, all of these things. Um, but, you know, if the people who do have power and have their own militias and have weapons and money can kind of stay together, um, then I think they do have a chance. Uh, If they can't and they kind of just pick off um, and and sort of decide like this is, I I get this fiefdom, you get that fiefdom, um, then then we're sort of headed to civil war. And that, you know, will be yet another tragedy and really a long string of tragedies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Katie, thanks so much for joining me today and uh, sharing your insights on Afghanistan. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Diplomats Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up with future episodes. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't yet left us a review, please do so. We really do appreciate that. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get your show. Thanks a lot for listening, and I'll be back soon with more.